Welcome to episode 24 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. This is a quick reminder that my play, The Commandment, will premiere this July at the Hamilton Fringe Festival in Hamilton, Ontario. If you're in the area, I hope you'll come by and see my show or any of the other great shows at the Fringe. You can buy tickets right now at Ham- online at hamiltonfringe.ca and you can find out more about my play at thecommandment.ca. On Stage Worthy, I interview people who make theater, actors, directors, playwrights, and more. And talk to them about everything from why they chose the theater to their work process and anything in between. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use, and consider leaving a comment or rating. My guest is Nisha Coleman, a storyteller and musician currently living in Montreal. Her solo show, Self-Exile, exploring isolation, flatulence, selective mutism, music, and what it means to be yourself, is currently being seen at the Montreal Fringe and will also be presented at the Toronto Fringe Festival. So thank you very much for 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 coming on uh, the Stage Worthy podcast. Um, I've been looking at your website just to sort of get a sense of you know who I'm talking to and that sort of thing. And one thing that sort of jumps out at me is that theater or the theatrical perf- uh, theatrical performance is not really. It doesn't look like that's your background. It looks like more you studied music and things like that. So yeah, is that is that right? Well, I've been kind of all over the map. And funny enough, I started in theater, but when I was a kid, um, I was always acting in plays. And then I auditioned for this community play when I was uh, 10 years old and I got the part. And so I started acting in plays that were for festivals, like with adults. And so that that was my original background in the arts. And then I kind of strayed away from that once I got into music and then music led to writing and writing has led back to theater. Interesting. Was there a, are you conscious of a reason why you sort of uh, left theater for music or? Um, I think it's just that music demands so much attention. Like, Mm. so I, I kind of, I delved into the classical music land and that requires just so much practice and dedication if if you want to be serious about it, which I thought I did want to be serious about it. Um, so there just wasn't time to spread myself over all those areas. That's understandable. And and so you you went to you went from the sprawling metropolis of Huntsville, Ontario, <laughs> to McGill to study music. That's right. I studied um, one year um, at McGill in music, and then I went to Wilfrid Laurier University and did another year of music <coughs> there. And mm. then I switched to psychology. So I finished actually with a psychology degree. Okay. Um, <laughs> So you really have uh, been all over the map in terms all of, in terms over of the what map. you've been into. Yeah. So 
did did you just get tired of music or was the did you feel yourself drawn to to psychology um the the real and honest answer to that is i i started um experiencing more and more severe performance anxiety mm. such that i couldn't really play anymore when i was under any form of pressure and i started to get really neurotic and i thought do i continue being this neurotic and fighting myself day after day or i could you know study what it means to be neurotic and switch over to psychology and just like write essays about being neurotic so that's what i did <laughs> did you find that the the like, like studying psychology gave you any insight into uh, performance anxiety and, and things like that or um in a way yeah like I, I specifically took a, like a fourth year seminar class in anxiety disorders and wrote like a long essay on on performance anxiety that takes all kinds of different forms um like including including public speaking actually so then um you know dealing with like professors that that um, in their minds, they're, they're absolutely terrified to even give, give a lecture. And they have this impression that, um, that it's not going well, that everyone's kind of judging them or seeing them a certain way. That's um, basically just sort of a made-up scenario in their minds. Um, so that, and also like sports, sports psychology, I, I started looking into like, how how athletes also deal with sort of the same the same form of anxiety it's just that it's in a different area hmm. what did you did you did did studying this help you did it did it give you any insight into your own anxiety and performing or were you able um, to learn tools that helped you to deal with it or or did it just sort of stay academic I guess not in a practical sense. I guess I just learned to sort of accept that I have this particular form of anxiety that surfaces when I play violin in front of an audience. Um, I have since noted that um, as a busker, because after university, I moved to Paris and was playing violin on the streets um, in front of like hundreds of people a day. And yet I wasn't afflicted by the same anxiety. So, um, studying it was just sort of reassuring in the sense that oh, I'm not the only one who's dealing with this because I guess that's how I felt in, in the music program. It's like, I, I've, I started like sort of feeling isolated in the sense that I felt like I was the only one struggling so much, but it's a pretty common affliction. Mm. Did so when you were in, and I mean, we will certainly come back to to busking on the streets of Paris. Yeah. But did you did you find that? Do you do you have any insight into why when you were busking there was no anxiety? Um, it's something I've thought about a lot, and um, what I think it is is that there's really no pressure when you're busking because nobody's. Mm -hmm. Nobody's paid to come and see you. No one's expecting a certain piece to be played a certain way. Um, there's no real judgment involved. And uh, uh, the pressure was off. And also, I noticed that if too many people started to conglomerate in front of me, then it would start to feel too much like an audience, and then I would start mm -hmm. to get nervous. 
it's just like I can deal with um, scattered audience members, but mm. if, it, if it starts to feel too much like a performance, uh, somehow I just I can't handle it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, just to, to get to the to the to the meat of, of why we're talking, you have a, a show uh, called Self Exile that's about to open at the Montreal Fringe, and then after that, you are going to the Toronto Fringe with the show. Can you tell me a little bit about about Self-Exile? Yeah, Self-Exile is, um, it's a solo storytelling show and it's it's a personal story um, about growing up, about navigating the world under unusual circumstances. So it's, it's, I go through different phases of my life and pinpoint different moments. Um, Self-Exile uh, the title refers to it kind of refers to two things. One is a severe um, shyness that I battled growing up, and that got so severe in adolescence that I basically was um, was mute. Like it's called selective mutism. So it's someone who can talk but chooses not to. Um, and also this tendency to sort of disengage, um, disengage from, from life itself, from friends and family, and just sort of self-isolate. Um, sounds pretty dark, but it's actually a like borderline comedy. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it, uh, it's, yeah, it's really about learn, how I learned to navigate the world the way I am. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, <laughs> can you? So you you say that it's it's borderline comedy because it sounds dark and and I think it does yes yeah. Um, I guess in terms of uh, of you know straddling the 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 dark and the comedy is there is there a way that you've managed to to do that generally? Um. It's kind of my nature to do that anyway in real life. Um, so it's just an extrapolation of that. Um, so, for example, like um, my parents were hippies. So the show kind of opens like with my conception in Edmonton with my parents just like these bohemians drive across the country in a Volvo. So like, that, those are my origins. And it's, it's kind of a funny, um, maybe unusual start to life is is this sort of hippie environment um and then the other kind of unusual element is the fact i grew up and on a swamp so i always i always use this swamp as like comic relief (laughs) um yeah um Okay, so you grew up on 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 a on a on a swamp, and that's <laughs> that's a swamp outside of outside of uh, or in Huntsville. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, Huntsville. Um, I guess people in Toronto know Huntsville pretty well. Like it's it's in Muskoka. It's cottage country. It's where it's where all the Torontonians go for beers and hang out at the cottages. But then there's the locals. And it's kind of a whole other scene. So, so yeah, we did, we had we had our, our own private swamp, and it was a pretty um, 
and it's an interesting place to grow up because you know there's no um, cable TV or hippie parents. It's it's poverty with a consciousness. It's it's a form of poverty, but um, it's, it's it's its own special kind. So we outside a lot, and we had all these weird games, and it's just sort of a unique, um, isolated pot which to grow up. I'm curious about this this journey of yours from theater to music to Paris, back to uh, Canada, and the journey to start um, to becoming a storyteller. Um, could you? I mean, I know that you you that that the story of of how you got to Paris and 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 your. I guess, for want of a better word, adventures as a busker there is outlined in your book. Right, but yeah. Can you tell me, like, just uh, sort of the Coles Notes version of, of uh, how you ended up in Paris and wh- what made you a busker in Paris? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. They all sort of overlap. Um, I was actually busking in Halifax one summer taking so I it was a summer during university I was sick of you know being a cashier I was like I need to do something different and I went to Halifax I didn't know anyone there I just started busking as my summer job and who should approach but a handsome uh Parisian man who who just says to me would you like to have a coffee with me and this kind of thing happens all the time in Paris. Um, mm. You know, French men are, are a lot, um, let, let's say, less bashful than than their Canadian counterparts. And I was not used to that at all. Like, no one had ever approached me out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, of course. So we had a coffee, and he wrote me an email, and, you know, I'm thinking about you. Would you consider coming to Paris? And he even had this line that was... Your life will be 10,000 times better than your best drink here in Paris. So I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm finishing university, and um, I didn't want to go to grad school right away. And I just wanted love and adventure in a new city. And um, so I, I just, I just like, took a leap. I said, sure, I'll come. I booked a, booked a ticket. Spent the last of my student loans on a ticket. And... Basically, as soon as I got there, I could just tell, like, this is not going to work out. Like, this was a bad plan. Not only was it a bad plan, but I didn't have a plan B. I didn't have um, a visa to actually stay there. I didn't speak French. I didn't know anybody. I Mm. had no money. But I did have a violin. And so there was this moment where I was like, okay, do do I just go home? Like, forget the whole thing? Or... I have my violin. I can make a go. I can make a go at this. I can just just see where it takes me, um, and that's what I did. Hmm. And it worked out. <laughs> and did you learn French? Just did you take a class while you were there? Or did you just like learn it on the street? I learned it on the street, which um, it's a great way to do it. Hmm. Um, I had no. Um, official French instruction there. It was just every day I would learn more and more words. And uh, Parisians were um, surprisingly patient with me. And they wouldn't get upset with 
mistakes, they would actually sort of adopt like a French teacher status and they would, <laughs> they, they would just like correct me all the time. And even like write things in my notebook if I wasn't catching a word or they were really happy to explain and help me along. So, um, yeah, and I, I was motivated to learn, too. I mean, I, we learned French in school, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, can only take us so far. And I realized when I got there that I was not fluent at all. Even, and I thought I could even get by a little bit, but that wasn't mm. even the case. Um, how long did it take you to, to feel like you could converse or become fluent in French? Um, it took about three months before I had that moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm speaking French. Like I'm having a conversation. It's not just like caveman talk or I, I remember, I remember the date very clearly, um, um, yeah, so it, it took three months of like constantly forcing it, listening to the radio, reading, reading all everything I could get my hands on, and talking to anyone who would spare the time. Hmm. It didn't come naturally as I had hoped it would. <laughs> <laughs> um, how long were you in Paris overall? Three years in total. And did you, when you, when you left, did you just decide that you'd had enough, that you'd learned enough? What, what brought you back to, um, to Canada? Yeah, like I, w- I was definitely missing Canada. Um, I had a, a Parisian boyfriend and things were going well and he kind of needed a change too. And when we, when we thought, let's just let's just go to Montreal and see, see, hmm. see what that brings. Hmm. Um, it's a French speaking city and we could yeah. both get by there and it's my country. And it just, it just made sense. Um, hmm. I, I, I felt like I'd had, I was kind of saturated with the, my potential there as a bus could hmm. do. Like, I think I had done all that I kind of needed to do there. Mm-hmm. And, when when you when did you start uh, getting back to from music to words to storytelling to storytelling like on a stage? Well, uh, when I was playing music in Paris, I was writing at the time. I was so I was writing about the things that were happening to me, and I I wasn't I didn't think that it would become it was just sort of a thing that I did. I'd come home just kind of write about the day, but. Um, so these stories started to take shape and they started to become kind of what was looking like a memoir. And so when I came to Montreal, I worked, I was rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And finally I had some polished chapters and there's this event called yarn. It's a monthly event in Montreal where you can either do storytelling or read, um, fiction or nonfiction. I signed up to read my chapter. And so it started off actually just reading on stage, reading a chapter from my memoir. And that sort of um, organically transformed into the same event, but now telling the story instead of reading it from a page. And I really like that, actually, because you can engage so much more with the audience. And 
So then I started telling more and more stories at Confabulation, which is another monthly storytelling event in Montreal. And I, I feel like it, it's, it's the best of all the worlds because it's theater, but it also is writing. And um, it's, I think it's the art that took me the most that I've kind of tried them all on. And um, what was your first, like, what was your first uh, foray back to, like, creating your own show with the storytelling? Um, well, uh, I started telling sort of, like, the more personal stories at Confabulation, and those are 10 minutes. And then I taped um, Jeff Gandal, who who runs the Yarn series, and we decided we would do a double header storytelling show. So we would be on stage at the same time, but we would take turns telling stories. Um, and that was like my first full storytelling show, um, and that was really fun. So I I applied for this grant for the um, Quebec Arts Council to write a really personal solo show, Self Exile. And I was really nervous about writing it because it's a very personal show and it's kind of scary and do something completely by yourself. It was the first time I'd ever done it. And I think if I hadn't got the grant, I don't even know if I would have been able to push through right to the end. But the grant came through and then I had a deadline and then I was then I really had to do it. I'm so glad that it happened that way. Have you performed the show in front of people before? Yes, I performed it in November as part of the Montreal Solos Festival. So it's, it's only been it's only been done once so far. And as your first, and this is I'm asking this is purely for selfish reasons. Uh-huh. Um, as a as somebody getting up to perform really solo for long form solo for a lot for the first time, um, how how was that? It was um, at once terrifying and exhilarating. Mm. Really, and I, um, I had a lot of doubts because there's always that part of my mind that's like, who wants to listen to you talk about yourself for one hour? It just doesn't make sense. And it, it just seemed like narcissistic. And I thought, well, you know, is this even interesting to anybody? And I, my big fear was that people would have that reaction, like, what am, what am I doing here? And, um, but in fact, um, it was really reassuring to do the show because people really reacted to it in a favorable way and were actually really um, touched by it because it is so personal and it really resonated um, with people in the audience and they started to sort of open up to me about their lives things that they wouldn't necessarily share otherwise. So mm. it was really interesting in the aftermath to like get little yeah. notes or have people, you know, come up and talk to me and say, you know, I, I'm just like that too. Um, as you were, as you were creating the show and, and rehearsing the show, um, did you, how, how did you combat? Cause you know, you were talking about, you know, who wants to talk, you know, who wants to hear me talk about myself for an hour? Yeah. Um, how, how did you 
combat those, those feelings um, leading into uh, like actually performing it? Um, I would say the biggest help was my director. That's Jeff Gandal. We work, we work really well together and mm. he offered to direct the show. And I think it was, it was a good call. Like it's a really, it was a good match. And I remember the first run through, like I was maybe even more nervous the first run through with him and then even on stage because that was going to, and just the look on his face was going to tell me everything mm. and his reaction just with the first read through, he said, yeah, this, this is going to be art. So don't worry. Mm. It's going to be okay. Mm. And just having just that one person, that's all, that's all you need. It's one person who's, who believes in the thing that you're doing. Yeah. And he really helped. Um, I feel like when you're doing solo material, you really need at least one other brain and eyes on, on the stuff. Cause you're just too in it. So it really, yeah really helped um just shape it in a way that was vulnerable yeah yeah no i i totally get that i mean i'm getting ready to do my first solo show ever oh nice um myself and and uh you know i have a director that i trust and i couldn't imagine trying to put this on its feet without an outside eye yeah no, I think it's not not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, I think that without somebody's, I don't know, approval or, yeah. for want of a better word, I think that I would be paralyzed. Yeah. With doubt yeah. in the whole, like leading up to it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you just need course, that one other person that's like, no, this, yeah, the, yeah you're gonna be okay. This is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it's totally helpful. I mean, I know people who have like developed a whole show on their own without like having somebody come in like that, and I just don't yeah. know how they do it. I don't know how they how they manage to do it without somebody who's like I don't know holding their hand as they birth this thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is know? huge. It is like a birth in yeah. a way. <laughs> it's a good yeah. analogy, like. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like there's such a, there's, there's so much emotion that comes along with telling such a personal story too. Like you're kind of processing the material as you're working on it. And mm. so I felt like even in rehearsals, I was still processing the material, um, and having Jeff there with me sort of validated it so that by the time it was ready for the stage, um, those original doubts were no longer haunting me. Have you made any discoveries while you've been rehearsing this about uh, the act of performing a, a solo piece? Um, I don't know of, about... Um, let me think about that. That's a good question. I guess it's just a matter of of finding a balance of like being grounded on stage, but also um, with enough variation that you can keep your audience captivated for an entire mm. 60 minutes. Like it's a long mm. time to hold um, an audience's attention and it's a lot to ask from an audience. Yeah. So I yeah. feel like, um, yeah, like just um, keeping the right dosing of not too much energy all the time but like enough energy to carry you through and then just variation in 
and like where I am on the stage and and delivery. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is a lot to ask of an audience to listen to one voice for an hour. It is. Yeah. I'm aware of that. And, and I really <laughs> like, I, I can't thank my audience enough after a show. Cause I'm like, uh, you stuck with me through this whole like itinerary. And I just felt so grateful after, um, after the first show of self-exile in Montreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you discover in performance of it? Did you did you find out something that you didn't know while you were performing it for the audience for the, the first time? Um, yeah, I guess I just... I mean, self-exile is a little bit about, or a lot about um, figuring out who we are as people. So it's me figuring out who I am. And in the process of writing and performing it, I feel like I really really got even closer to actually who I am. Mm. Um, my sense of self is, is really um, malleable. It's really watery. And so uh, that's part of the show too, is like, is like being sort of a shapeshifter and not really knowing like who I am, but just sort of slipping into different worlds or bouncing in between worlds. And I, I feel like just in articulating that, I sort of um, discovered who I was even more. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that that's, I mean, I think that a lot of people are, are malleable in that way. Maybe not yeah. without even noticing it. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right that, that in doing so, because we slip into, uh, I don't want to say a persona, but we slip into an aspect of ourselves given in each given situation that, that, that a lot of us don't know who we are. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's even exaggerated in actors' lives because they are playing so many different roles and they, they sort of have to become different people. I imagine that uh, adds an extra element of confusion to one's it, self-identity. It's, yeah, it certainly might. It certainly might. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know... It's funny because I know I'm just I was just thinking about about you know how people are you know how how we slip into different different roles generally I know so many actors who are actually introverts yeah. as opposed to what people think an actor is which is an extrovert uh-huh. um, do you on on that particular scale do you see how, do you put yourself more on the introvert scale or um, yeah, I'm a, pretty much as introvert as it can get. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, again, like this, this is part of the show is like how extremely introverted I can actually get. Um, and then people are sometimes surprised because in social situations, I can put all of that away and I can be a clown and I can be the extrovert. And when I tell people, no, I'm actually like extremely shy and extremely introverted. People can can be quite surprised sometimes. Well, I don't think that. I think that when people see that, when they see like the you know somebody's acting, you know, the, all of, they don't see all of the energy that goes into <laughs> yeah. into making yourself do that because it's not it's not easy to put yourself in that situation when you just want to you just want to sort of hide. Yeah, and, and I feel like don't want to be like when you put yourself out like that. It's exhausting. Exactly, it's so incredibly draining. 
Um, and, and <laughs> like friends of mine remarked even that like, I'll have like this big smile. And then as soon as the door closes to whatever event it was, it just like mm-hmm. collapse into <laughs> exhaustion because it's yeah. so hard to maintain that level of energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's more that it's for me, I always sort of think of it as, um, I don't get energy from that room of people. Yeah. I, I, my energy is expelled in like, 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 like Whereas I know people who are who are extra who are introverts or sorry extroverts and when they're in a room full of people they're just like that is fueling all of their energy exactly. and when that door yeah. closes they are not exhausted. No, um, they're up for hours after that. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. you do you find that performing is different if than like being at a party as an as an as an introvert? Actually, yeah. That's a good question, and I've never thought of it that way, but after performing, after a performance, I'm usually buzzing with energy. Even though I know I'm, I'm like maintaining a certain energy level that's not necessarily natural to me, I think that being on stage gives me energy because I feel like the audience, um, by paying attention and by listening, they're like sharing their energy with me, and so I always actually feel quite energized and have trouble sleeping after a performance. <laughs> Do you find yeah, that? I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's like, I will buzz for a couple hours after a performance before yeah. I actually manage to relax enough. Right. But then of course, once that energy is gone, I am crash. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Crash. <laughs> <For> yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, the show that you did with uh, Jeff Gandell, Things Drugs Taught Me, right? Um, yeah. That so you you sort of took turns telling stories in that way. Yeah. Um, was he, was he a more when you when you sort of started doing this together? Was he a more uh, he'd told long form stories before and was sort of like helping you uh, introduce yourself as a solo performer in a longer form, or was he as new to it as you were? Uh, he had done two solo shows prior, so he, in terms of long-form solo, he was good at helping me with self-exile. Um, for things Dregs taught me, because we were switching back and forth, we still were in the 10-minute format, so it was still what I was used to. So we're telling mm. um, three stories each, but separate stories, so I was still within my comfort zone. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a really good process to just be able to workshop each other. And, and like have two very different people with very different experiences, but somehow make it so that it doesn't feel completely polarized so that there's like some kind of main, um, something anchoring, anchoring the show Mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you looking at, is there something you're looking forward to in the, the, like you're going to three fringe festivals, one at home, one in Toronto, one in Muskoka. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular that you're looking for from each or that you're looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of amazing shows. Um, mm. I'm just, I'm blown away. <laughs> I'm blown away by, by all the, 
all the projects that people have been working on all this time. Um, I can't wait to see um, what Toronto has in store. Montreal, I'm already deep into it because it, it started yeah. um, the other day. So I'm looking forward to being inspired by by seeing what other people are up to. I'm looking forward to showing what I've been up to and, and getting feedback from that because that's always interesting. And perhaps even like um, comparing cities, like I've told, I've only told one story um, in Toronto and Montreal. Otherwise it's either a Toronto story or a Montreal story, but it's interesting to see maybe different reactions from different mm. cities. It's possible. Um, yeah, there was also um, a f- like a, a few, a, a couple of scenes that have some French in it. And mm. in Montreal, that went over fine. And I'm wondering, you know, what what are Torontonians going to think of of French embedded in an English show? I'm not sure. That's going to be very interesting, actually. How, yeah. How much How much French is is in it? Um, there's there's like a like a dialogue. Like sometimes I play different characters, so it's a dialogue of like um, early conversations that would have happened in Paris with middle-aged men. Um, and 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 then it's maybe like the funniest part of the show. So in Montreal, mm. it was like kind of the highlight. In Toronto, mm. I'm not sure. Well, it's funny because you never really know yeah. how something like that's going to go over because sometimes just the sound of the language is enough to let the audience know what's happening. It's true. So they yeah. don't necessarily need the specifics. So it's yeah. hard to know how that's going to go over. It's interesting too, to it's see just... um, like where people laugh. Cause I've done this once, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that like after the 15 um, shows, I will notice that like, Oh, Toronto laughed really loud at that line. And Montreal didn't even have a reaction or like, the yeah, you're never going to know that. because each know. place is so different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and every fringe has its own personality, as as you know, you you will certainly see. Uh-huh. Um, did you do the fringe for all in uh, in Montreal? I did. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how many, <laughs> I how many local it. companies were part of that? Do you remember? Oh well, I know that like the first half had about forty. So then there was a second half. <laughs> So yeah, it, it was it was wild. Uh, the yeah. energy level wasn't was insane. <laughs> I'm a fringe Did rookie. Did you so. second? Oh, this is your first fringe. This is my first fringe. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. I, do they still do the? Uh, so they, I guess, the fringe for all. That was the local fringe for all, and then yeah. there's the out of town fringe for all. Are you planning to go to that as well? Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I might have a tech rehearsal that night, but I'll, I'll try and make oh, it course, for at yeah. least some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's always it, that, I mean, the fringe for all is something that, that, that like, it's pretty unique to, um, to Montreal. Um, I think a couple of other cities do something similar, but it's not, it's not as common. It's not that right. common. So Toronto doesn't do anything like that. Yeah. I was um, wondering, um, yeah, because it's a really good opportunity um, to just sort of showcase a little bit what's going on. Yeah, it 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 is. Um, it's just I think that it's it's one of those like where do you put it in in, in Toronto? Because you know Montreal yeah. has that space for the thirteenth hour, which they can use for for things like that. And and 
uh, again, that's another thing that's unique to to Montreal is that mm-hmm. that nighttime variety slash talk show that that happens, you know, at like midnight yeah. and just is that that you know that end of day thing that where people can come together and that's something that you don't find really in any other city. Huh, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like there like I was saying each each fringe is so unique. Um and you're going to you'll you'll learn a lot about each one very quickly. I'm sure the learning um, curve is going to be yeah. pretty steep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I knew one of the things that got me was when when I did Montreal Fringe um, a couple years ago. The discovering that because I was used to a situation like in in Toronto where you you flyer the lineup. Yeah. Um, and in Montreal, when we were there, there was almost never a line, so you couldn't oh. fly, flyer the lineup. People would just right. sort of show up and go in, so you had to flyer people coming out, which oh. was which was an unusual thing to do for us, but. Um, one of those things that, that you pick up pretty quickly because you got to figure out how to promote your show. Yeah, it's a real, um, that's a real struggle for me. It's, it certainly doesn't come naturally and I'm trying to, I really appreciate all these things, these ways that Montreal has for artists to promote their stuff. They also have a fringe yeah. moi, which is like you send in a little video, like a little mm. cute little thing of 30 seconds and, and there's a lot of retweeting going on and it's, it's really good that way for Toronto. I'm really yeah. racking my brain for, for those kinds of opportunities. It's, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, they're all different. I mean, yeah. Toronto really becomes about the legwork and the fringe club, right. and just um, doing the legwork and getting your word out. I mean, if you yeah. want to see somebody who knows how to work a fringe, and you'll probably. I mean, I don't know if he's in if he's in Montreal, but Jem Rolls is a guy. Yeah who knows how to work and he will, he will be nonstop um, going from venue to venue talking about his show. And and he's really sort of uh, got it down. And, you know, as, as an introvert myself, that's the hardest part of a fringe festival. You know, just let me, let me get on stage and do my show. Don't make me talk to people about it. (laughs) Um, Having to walk up to people and say, can I tell you about my show is like one of the worst things I, I can think of. How is that received? Of... This is my question. Like, are people <clears throat> like, oh, yes, tell me about your show? Because fringe goers tend to be enthusiastic about shows. So, I mean. I think f- for the most part, it's rare to find somebody who's not receptive to that. Yeah. Um, I've only been in, uh, in one city where people were not ref- uh, uh, receptive to that. Okay. Uh, I did the Calgary Fringe a number of years ago, and the number of people who you'd walk up to them and say, hey, could I tell you about my show? They'd be like, no. Oh, man. And you'd, you'd sort of be like, I don't know what to do now. Right, that's awkward. Um, so, But I think in general, <laughs> I mean, if somebody is in line for a Fringe show, yeah. they are yeah. receptive. Yeah. You just can't waste their time. Right. Because – you know, you got to look at how many. If you, you know, I mean, I remember going to to one line, and I saw it was like I think it was Peter and Chris, and they were, um, they were they had a huge line, so of course everybody was descending on it. And as I watched all uh like basically every show start to descend on this line, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, these people are coming away with enough flyers here. Right. Um, but you definitely. Uh, it is an important part and people are generally receptive. Yeah. Um, 
some more than others. Right. But I don't think anybody will ever say, no, I don't want you to tell me about, about your show. <laughs> well, that's good. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and of, of course, I mean, you'll have, I mean, having done your show in Montreal, you've already got a review from the solos festival and you've got, you're, you're going to get more buzz in Montreal. Yeah. Um, that's something you, that you certainly should leverage when you get to, when you get to Toronto, make right. sure that you post, if you have star ratings or review clips, things like that, post that on every poster and talk about it every chance that you get. Right. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I'm really glad to have this opportunity to do the Montreal fringe. It was a really actually yeah. last minute thing. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, I was, so they did the lottery and I was fourth on the waiting list and everyone was like, Oh, congratulations. You'll definitely get in. But fringe was getting closer and closer and closer and nobody was dropping out. And then it was like oh the day, goodness. the day after they printed the program, I got the call and they're like, listen, oh my the goodness. program's been printed, but there's a spot. Do you want it? And oh my goodness! I, I decided to proceed, but um, yeah, yeah. This is it's very uh, kind of, was kind of a last minute um, thing. Yeah, it's a bit scary. I got into the Montreal fringe off the off their waiting list, but I didn't. Or sorry, the Hamilton fringe off their waiting list, but I didn't know I was on the waiting list. Oh really? <laughs> That's so, funny. Because I was I was here, and and the Toronto fringe when they do their their lottery, they announce who's on the waiting list. They sort of yeah. tweet that. So yeah, if yeah. you're not there, you could see. Hamilton didn't tweet that, so I had no oh, idea wow. that I was on the waiting list until they until that I got an email in December saying, "Hey, do you want to be in?" And I was, and I said, "Yes." That's but, an interesting surprise. I mean, yeah, it was I mean, it was a good surprise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's so. I mean, when the closer you get down to the wire, it's it's so, um, it can be so hard to 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 get everything in place to promote the show. But it sounds like, I mean, you've got a, a good foundation in Montreal for, for promoting the show. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I have the advantage that it's my city for sure. I think if it was any mm. other city, it wouldn't be worth this gamble, but because I, I know enough people. Um, and I think like through word of mouth and rallying and, and um, maybe some press, I think maybe it's, it's, I, it's definitely going to be worth it no matter what happens. Yeah, and I'm happy to have a run before Toronto too. I just, well, that's always. I mean, I mean, not to. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a, a bit of a, a just a, a quick Toronto fringe thing. Toronto has a bit of a reputation uh, about uh, the you know performers who aren't from here, and you can do well here. Mm-hmm. But it is hard off the top to get noticed right. here, yeah, because it's very focused, very like navel gaze, very right. much interested in what's from here. Yeah, I mean in Montreal, I mean most cities are like that a little bit. There are some other cities which are very interested in the stuff that's coming from away. Yeah, Toronto is particularly interested in the stuff that comes from here. Right. So, um, if but definitely. Although that first, the first couple of days, everything is focused on itself. You can still do uh, do really well here um, once everybody is done looking at themselves. <laughs> um, and definitely, I would recommend talking to 
And again, this is one of those things. Oh my God, talking to people. Yeah. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Um, and like talking to people at the Fringe Club and and uh, getting people to to come and see the show and talk that out. So. Yeah, um, I'm prepared. I'm gearing up. It's gonna be like good. ten just complete social days. Like I can't even <laughs> slip into my gonna... introvert pajamas at all. You're just going to get home and every night and just, just collapse. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anything, any last things that you want, you want to uh, say before, before we finish off about, about uh, self exile or, or, uh, or, or anything else? Um, I guess I just want to say, like, I know the way I described it early on is like, it sounds really dark, but it really isn't. I hope people believe me on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. So okay, cool. definitely, definitely something. I don't think that, that you, you haven't turned me off okay, from talking good, good. about it. So that's well, I, at least I have, have one that. audience. Member. Um, that's good. There you go. I will be there. <laughs> um, where can we find you online? I know you've got your website and that's, uh, Nisha Coleman.com. Yeah. Are you on the social media? Yeah. I've got a Facebook page. So it's Nisha Coleman author or writer. Um, you think uh, Nisha Coleman writer? I think okay, yeah. writer, yeah, writer. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, what else? Instagram. I try and do all the things you're supposed to do. I try to keep up with that stuff. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, but my website. I mean, most of the important stuff is on there. NishaColeman.com. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you so much for talking with me today, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing your show uh, when you come when you come to Toronto. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>